everybody, it's Sam Bennett. Thank you so much for joining me for the True Freedom Symposium, the when, what, why, and how to quit your day job and what's really on the other side. Today's guest is my friend Paul Gilmartin. Paul was the former host of TBS's Dinner and a Movie that was on for like 13 years or something. And he's the current host and producer of the Mental Illness Happy Hour podcast. I wanted Paul on here partly because he's a stand-up. We knew each other from comedy world back in Chicago in the 80s. Um, and he's hilarious and great and brilliant. I wanted to feature somebody who was making a living from their podcast. But also, he's just one of the most sincere, straight-up people I know. You will see how rigorous his honesty is. Plus, he gave us probably the single funniest line of this entire symposium. So, enjoy. Hi, Paul. Sam, it's, how long have we known each other? 30 years? Mm, at least, at least. Paul and I were children together at the Second City <laughs> Comedy Theater in Chicago. Um, we came up through the ranks, we studied together. It was like being in comedy nom, man. Um, <laughs> so, um, and the beautiful thing about when you know somebody that for that long of a time, and especially from that intense of an experience, I think, um, it is like you're just bonded for life. I mean, we've seen each other some over the years, yes. but um, you, you pick up where you left off. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So I'm so excited to have you. I'm like, my heart's just going. I'm so happy. Uh, to you. Um, and I wanted you particularly on this summit, um, partly just for an excuse to talk to you, but also <laughs> because, you know, we're talking to people who have jobs, either like a career job or just a day gig job, but there's something else they feel like they want to be doing. There's some mm. creative venture they want to get more involved in, or maybe they really want to become entrepreneurs or small business owners or big business owners. And they're just not clear how to make the decision or they're feeling really stuck about it or mm. they're afraid or there are all these other things. So partly I just want to talk about you and your, you know, your career path, which has been a really interesting journey and um, unpredictable at best. And, yeah. um, but also I think that one of the things people that keeps people stuck is something that nobody talks about, which is the inner concern. Can I do it? Can I do it because I suffer from depression or I suffer from anxiety or I had a shitty childhood or I'm not really sure what my gender is or I'm not really, you know, like all this, um, I don't know, mental conditions, sort of, I don't even think of it as really disease or unwellness, just mental conditions yeah. that make people feel like maybe I'm not fit mm -hmm. to be out in the world. Um, yeah. Negative chatter. The negative chatter, exactly. And since, you know, oh, and let's just say right here at the top, neither Paul or I are mental health professionals. <laughs> this is not... Far from it. Far from it. This is not meant to be diagnosis or treatment in any way, shape, or form. Just an open conversation from um, two people who've lived a complicated life. Uh, so, Paul, to say a little bit about your journey. How did you get from where you started to where oh, you are? Um, you mean professionally? Professionally, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, in college, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I was pre-med. Something snapped. I changed my major to theater. Uh, graduated. Uh, did improv for a while. Stand up for a while. Mm -hmm. um, moved to Los Angeles and got a job doing a show called Dinner and a Movie on TBS, which lasted for uh, a long, a long while, uh, 16 mm -hmm. years. And I was a touring stand-up comedian uh, during that time. And uh, I just, the luster began to kind of wear off of uh, being in TV and, um, and doing stand-up. And it's not like people were knocking my door down, you know, uh, it's, it, it's kind of like, I, I have a, an agreement, uh, between the industry uh, and myself that don't show an interest in me and I won't show an interest in you. And we both kept up our end of the bargain. I've, I've had relationships like that. <laughs> yes. So, uh, in 2011, I was still doing dinner in a movie and I, in late 2010, I went off my meds and 
became suicidally depressed and didn't recognize it as a depression. And when I finally did recognize it, uh, I thought, my God, you know, I believe that mental illness is a real thing. I've been in therapy support groups under the care of a psychiatrist for over a decade, and I got fooled by it. Somebody should talk about this in a way that is uh, compelling or entertaining or accessible because I didn't see anything out there uh, regarding mental health that that was uh, accessible to the average person. It was either kind of academic and dry or kind of preachy and Dr. Phil-like or new agey and crystals and Mother Earth and sacred and all that other stuff that just makes my legs fall asleep. <laughs> And I thought, you know, why not do a podcast that's just you and somebody just being real with each other? And sometimes you laugh, sometimes you cry, but it's brutally honest and nothing's too dark and nobody can step in and fuck it up except me. And and that was kind of the template for it. And I just thought it was something that was needed. I didn't intend for it to become uh, the thing that I would make my living at. And when the show went off the air... Uh, and I lost my desire to do stand-up. I'd been doing the show for maybe six months, and it was growing, and I just kind of felt like, I think the universe is opening a door for me. And uh, I was fortunate enough at that time that my then-wife was employed, and I'd also saved some money. So uh, I wasn't in financial emergency right Right. then. But I thought, I feel passionate about this. Something about it feels right. And I enjoy it. So I'm just going to put my eggs in this basket and see what happens. And um, it's grown. And now I can support myself uh, from doing it. And I enjoy what I do for a living. And I kind of feel like it's what I was maybe put put on this earth to, to do which is a great feeling. It's an amazing feeling, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and sometimes I worry that I'm losing touch with the real world mm-hmm. <laughs> just because I remember how miserable I was going to day gigs, even really great day gigs. And I had some really terrific jobs, um, but I was miserable. I was miserable. And, you know, every day looking at the clock going, seriously, it's 3.15, seriously. Like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it to six. And now I spend all day, every day, talking to people I love about work that I love, doing things that I love, writing that I love. Like, it is. It's kind of the best feeling. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And and you almost don't regret doing the things you didn't enjoy because you built your appreciation for the thing you do enjoy. It's my father's rule about greasy spoons. If you never eat it one, how do you know you're in someplace good? Yeah. (laughs) And so I kind of look at life now as I'm either appreciating something or I'm building my appreciation for something in the future. And that helps me get through the times when, you know, maybe the depression comes back or things are tight financially or, you know, experience some type of loss or grief or something. So, well, and I think that's important to say, too, because it's while it is incredible to be able to get to do the work that you love to do all the time. It doesn't mean that your life gets any easier. I mean, life stuff still happens. Grief still happens. Depression still happens. Anxiety still happens. Financial crises still happen. Like, yeah, there's still the business part of it. That's a pain in the ass that I, that I hate. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, there's when your work doesn't feel like work outside of the tasks that feel like work, uh, when the bulk of it doesn't feel like work, it's, um, I find that it quiets my brain because that question of, is there something else I should be doing? I've blown it. I've made a mistake. I've missed my opportunity because I'm too dumb to see it or I was too lazy to work for it. Having that part of your brain quieted down is really, really nice. Now, there's still a part of my brain that tells me I should work harder and I'm lazy, but, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I've learned how to accept baby steps as, as a success. Mm. And I see enough uh, financially successful 
people that are miserable and can't relax that I think, well, that's maybe not the thing to envy. Um, I suppose I would envy somebody who is motivated, but knows how to relax when it's time to relax. Yeah. Um, so I struggle with that balance of, of uh, work and play. I feel like I maybe play too much. Maybe that's also because I, in my childhood, I had to be an adult kind of early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just try not to be hard on myself because one of the epiphanies I had in all my support groups and all that other stuff is nobody has ever shamed themselves into being the person they want to be. Yeah. Nagging doesn't work. Compl- no. It doesn't work with other people and it doesn't work inside of your own head. No. Yeah. And so I don't shame myself when I take a nap. Uh, I don't shame myself if I don't uh, get to my to-do list. Um, I try to self-reflect. And uh-huh. That to me is much different than uh, self-obsessive shaming. Um, and to me, that's always a really interesting question of, of and in some ways just developing self-trust of like, huh, here's this thing that I sort of feel like I should be doing. And yet I'm really noticing myself just really not doing it. Um yeah, and rather to go into that, like, oh my God, you suck. I can't believe you haven't done this. You haven't done mm-hmm. this yet. You said you were going to do it last week. What's the matter with you? You should have done it last year. You should have done it three years ago. Like, what's the matter with you? Um, but rather to just get, to kind of get curious mm-hmm. and go like, okay, is this really something I'm avoiding? You know, huh. is there some, <laughs> as my coach once said to me, why are you cock blocking yourself, Sam? <laughs> I'm like, good question. Like, am I cock blocking myself? <laughs> or, does it really not need to be done or does it not need to be done right now? Or does it not need to be done by me? Right. You know, I'm going like, Oh, okay. And, and really, um, yeah, really being able to relax into that and, and, and go. Some, oh. of, some, some of us are motivated by potential. Some of us are motivated by a deadline or fear. Yeah. And, I, I feel like it's it's almost like whatever your sexual turn on is, you didn't put it in your head. So find a way to make peace with it and, you know, maybe do a little self-reflection on how it is that you will make peace with it. But ultimately, um, if it's something you can't control, um, find a way to to deal with it that works in your life and maybe even use it to your advantage i mean there are some things yeah (laughs) you know i mean to me i have a number of favorite narcotics but work is probably number three on the list yeah like work is a fantastic narcotic and i am one of those people who can sit down at my desk and not get up for 10 hours like i can just buckle down and go and it's a little it's a little crazy pants for sure Mm -hmm. but it's super useful (laughs) It is. It's, it's one of the, assuming, uh, you're, you're not, uh, factoring in your primary relationships. (laughs) Only marry other workaholics. That's my motto. (laughs) Bump into each other in the hallway. You've got a beard. (laughs) I think there's fish sticks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and there's and no also, finish line, and there's no finish line. There's no finish line, and we don't know. And this is one of the ways I think improvisation is an incredible, you know, pretty much most of the things you need to know about life you can learn yeah. by doing improvisation. Um, and and this idea that, the, yeah, there isn't a success at the end. There isn't, there isn't a goal. There isn't a finish line. And you do kind of get to make it up as you go along. Mm-hmm. And that freedom, that exploration that you know i think school tricks us a little bit like oh no you're supposed to go in some ladder of success and wisdom and achievement but life's not like that the creative process isn't like that you know you're in the wood with a flashlight anybody listening or watching right now ask yourself would you have predicted that you would be where you are today probably not, then why obsess about where you're going to be 10 years from now? And that doesn't mean 
you can't make goals, but there's a difference between making a goal and taking baby steps towards working towards it and being gentle when yourself with yourself when there's missteps and obsessively ruminating and shaming yourself or thinking that if you get to this place, everything's going to click into place and you're going to experience peace. I learned that doing TV. I'd always wanted to be on TV. And I discovered a couple of months into the run of 16 years, I didn't really enjoy doing TV. I enjoyed the money. I enjoyed some of the perks, but I didn't enjoy the pressure of doing comedy that I didn't have full uh, creative control over mm. and and worrying about what I look like and do I look tired or am I not smiling enough? And um, I wouldn't have predicted that. I wouldn't have predicted that. I wouldn't have predicted that I got tired. I would ever get tired of doing stand-up. Um, and I certainly wouldn't have predicted I would be doing a podcast about mental health. Right? <laughs> yeah. But And... And I think that's that's so important to, you know, it's, it's one of the ways I was able to stop acting full time. I mean, I still act sometimes, but my the last gig I did was a day on Modern Family, which is an amazing show. And yeah. everyone on it is amazing. And everyone who works there is so aware of the fact that they have the most amazing job in television, that yeah. everybody's super happy. They get really nice craft services. I mean, it's like... You kind of couldn't do much better than that. Mm -hmm. And I was bored. I'm bored. I'm prepping for a scene with Ty Burrell and Rob Riggle. And I'm like, are we done? Because this is not that interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, you sound like you're kicking a puppy to say so. Like, oh, the you know, that big TV job was kind of boring. But... The let's, TV, let's TV is boring. It's, TV a lot is boring. Of, it's a lot of waiting around. It's a lot of small talk with the same person you walked past 15 minutes earlier. And being a naturally, slightly socially anxious person, um, I kind of enjoy uh, the reclusive nature of podcasting. Mm -hmm. And I uh, get my connection in my support groups and with my friends. But um, I, and while I do enjoy occasional collaborative uh, efforts and being creative, there's beyond, if you don't like something, there's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. So let's, this is leading me to want to, like, I want to share, what are some of your good tips and tricks for managing the world when you're having a depressive episode or an anxious episode or a, the social anxiety thing is a big issue for me? Um, how, what, what do you do? Uh, first thing I do is if I'm um, not accepting what reality is, I try uh, to accept what reality is. I try to put things into two camps, the things I'm powerless over and the things I have a tiny bit of control or influence over. The, if I recognize I'm powerless over a situation, uh, I try to uh, accept it in a way that um, has principles to it. I don't lash out because traffic's bad. Right. I use it as an opportunity to listen to a podcast or call a friend or look out the window or whatever it, it is. Um, if it's something I have control over, um, I try to ask what principles should I bring to this? Honesty, integrity, uh, being helpful, taking care of myself. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's really pretty simple. What gets in the way is my fear and my crystal ball. Mm. Uh, you know, my, my fear is kind of the gasoline that my crystal ball runs on and it's a terrible crystal ball and it's almost never been right. And um, so if I recognize that I'm future tripping I just try to bring it into the present moment. If I'm ruminating about the past, um, I try to let it go. If I have trouble letting it go, I pick up the phone and tell somebody, man, I'm stuck on this thing that happened and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's that's one of the biggest tools that, that, that I bring. And then if it's something that I want to accomplish, I uh, try to look at it realistically, not imagine you know, what every detail of getting there is going to look like, but instead say, how might I get there? 
What's a principled way that I can get there where I enjoy the trip along the way, or at least I'm not made incredibly miserable by the, the step along, along the way. And listening to my gut is yeah. huge. You know, it's really helped me cut toxic people out of my life because I used to think if I didn't give people what they want, I'm selfish. Yeah. And really it's more, if you don't give them what they want, they will call you selfish. Yes. They will project their own ism onto you. And so I listen to my gut when I'm around people, you know, if, if I'm around somebody and I notice every time uh, I'm walking on eggshells or my stomach's in a knot um, or they're really negative, uh, I ask myself, why am I being around this person? And yeah, if I don't have to be around that person, then I um, am not. Yeah, it really sounds pretty simple, but um, I think and I don't want to take a shot at Catholicism, but I think a lot of organized religions really fuck up people's ideas of what boundaries are and what instinct is. And the idea of family, no matter what, and honor thy mother and father, I believe, you know, respect should be earned. Hmm. And if somebody isn't going to respect your boundaries, Goodbye. I don't care if you're a blood relative or not. Wow. I love that. I love that. So I want to underline a couple of things I'm hearing. One is it sounds like I'm sort of imagining you with like your good angel and bad angel. You know, it's like, very much like that. You know? and really you, you've gotten really good about listening to like, okay, how can, you know, what's the good in this? How can I move forward? How can I be the person I want to be? even though I'm confronted by this difficulty or this obstacle or this, you know, obsessive thoughts or uncontrollable thinking or sense of just generalized despair about the world. Like how can I still as much as possible be the person I want to be and create the world I want to live in yes. moving through this. Yes. And part of what I love about that, oh, this makes me a little like this. Um, you know, to me, the worst thing about depression, there's so many awful things about depression, but the worst thing about depression is that it tricks you into believing it'll never end. Yes. Yes. It's a lie. It's a lie. But it feels it's, so real. It's the most convincing CGI ever. Ever. And not only will it never end, it's never ended before. Like you may have thought you were happy before, but you weren't. Mm -hmm. You weren't. It was a fraud and you'll never be happy again. And I think this is why it's often a fatal disease because it's not that people can't live with the pain. People, we live with pain all the time. All kinds of people live with pain. It's that we think the pain will never end. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that you just go, well, why, why, why would I do this? And the, and the two things that are difficult about depression is it's hard to put into words to communicate it to other people, especially when there's so much ignorance around it and people consider it a weakness of spirit or, or mind. And the other thing is, is you don't feel like getting help or reaching out when you're in that place. So it's like you're kind of double fucked in that, in that moment. Oh, part of my identity when I'm in depression is that I am unhelpable. Yeah. Right, so it's like this beast that eats itself. It's just yes. awful. It's black and white. Black and white thinking really, really takes hold. And black and white thinking is the enemy of help. Yeah, and what we're saying about connecting with reality, the work of Byron Katie is a lot of what's gotten me through. And that's that exact same question. Is it true? Mm -hmm. Can I absolutely know that it's true? What are the facts on the ground is what my therapist will always say to me. Uh, another great book that really helped me is uh, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Mm -hmm. Really profound book. And there, you know, some of the jargon is a little new agey in it, but the truths in it are deeply, deeply profound and practical. Yeah, I love him. He and I have the same publisher. So I feel like we're, nice. and Hollywood that makes us like related. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. The other, the one that really cracked me open was uh, the Noonday Demon. Yes. By Solomon. And, and he has the best quote ever about uh, depression. The opposite of depression is not happiness. It's vitality. Yeah. It's life itself. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, so I, I, I interrupted your thought. I apologize. No, no, but that's okay. exactly so that so the 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 good. I was having a big <laughs> the good angel and the bad angel on your shoulder, yes. and um, it tells you it's never going to end. 
Right. So every then they go like, well, okay, okay, thanks, bad angel. What's really going on? What's the facts on the ground? Who do I want to be? What do I have control over? How can I move forward um, in a way that's gentle and 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 non shame, non self shaming, yeah. and non other shaming? Um, this thing about other people, <laughs> like mm. those pesky other people, um, the boundary thing comes up. You know, there's that. there's seven billion of them. That is such a bummer. No wonder it feels so. If you're not a people person, <laughs> when you find out there's seven billion people, that's a shitty day. There's too many people. <laughs> like I feel like I can hear them all thinking. <laughs> I keep interrupting you. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> I don't. But this, um, what's the the Facebook meme about? Like I peopled yesterday, and I have to people again tomorrow. I just can't people today. <laughs> My favorite Christmas present is the silence after everybody leaves. Oh, beautiful. Exactly. So all these other people who have all these expectations of us or that we project all these stories onto and this boundary thing. And I don't know, maybe it's just because we have a life in the arts and we know a lot of, you know, the, the, the spectrum of acceptable behavior in the arts community is pretty wide. Pretty wide. You got to be pretty crazy before somebody says you're too crazy. Um, which is, I think, how a lot of us found our home there. Like, oh, good, I can, my weird is yeah. kind of normal. Yeah. <laughs> like my, the fact that I'm a high-functioning weirdo, like, makes me, you know, yeah. do well in this environment. Um, but I can see even just in my own clients and, and students, um, I was just talking about this with a friend the other day. I get a big red buzzer whenever I get an email from somebody who says, oh, I really love your work, but I really, I feel like we should be friends. And I'm always like, and red flag, you have boundary issues because <laughs> yeah. we're not friends. I love you. I care about you. We're not friends. Yeah. Uh, Derek Waters is, there's an interview with him on Mark Marin, And he said, he, he goes to a church and he said, um, somebody said to him, uh, we should write a screenplay together. And he said to this person, just because we both, believe in God doesn't mean I like you. <laughs> yeah. Which is a little harsh, but true, you know? Yeah. And that, and I don't think any of us get trained up to be able to say, step back. And I think it's one of the concerns that people have when they think about starting their own business is like, oh my God, I don't have clients calling me day and night. My time's not going to be my own. I'm going to be working all these hours. It's like, Honey, only if you let them, you know. Setting boundaries is an art and it's a muscle that, that takes time to develop. So what are your, some of your favorite boundary setting? Well, the three that I've had to do uh, recently in the last year is let people know that, um, that I am beginning to not enjoy their company because they do all the talking. And so I thought, what is a way that I can present this that is compassionate, but not apologetic? And I, so I preface things with saying, you know, I, I respect you and I care about you. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be taking the time to say this. And it's really difficult. I'm struggling to find the words for it. Um, but I feel like an audience member and, and I, um, find myself beginning to dread talking to you and feel resentment. And I don't want to feel that way. So I felt like this is something that I need to say. And how'd it go? All, all three times it was received uh, with a thank you. Um, and they seemed um, caught off guard that they weren't aware of it. Uh, one guy in particular, I said, we've been here for 45 minutes and you have talked for 44 minutes and 30 seconds. And he went, wow. Thank you. Yeah. Some I was just don't know. They don't. And I was just at a little event the other day with some, you know, some people I know. And I was there for, I don't know, 90 minutes, almost two hours. And as I was walking back to the car, I thought none of these people asked me one thing. Yeah, that's a good sign, usually, of what kind of friend somebody is. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
good. That's very good. And I love, I love to taking full responsibility for it. Like this is what I'm, and to acknowledge this is what this, I'm feeling. This is my experience. I, 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 and I use that all the time. Like I am not crazy about having this conversation with like, I don't want to say this. <laughs> hate it. I'm kind of hating this. Um, I also sometimes use that what I call a hat trick. Like I have to put on my boss hat here for a second and say, mm-hmm. that's unacceptable. Or I have to put on my, that's great. Know, my author hat or my wife hat or my whatever hat and say, you know, the Sam person, me, I'm fine. Yes. <laughs> but the boss in me is not fine. I, you know, I discovered that there is almost nothing we can't say. It's really about finding the way to say it. And but, having a pure heart about it. Yes. Doing it with compassion, timing, tact, um, nuance. Mm-hmm. And not letting your emotions dictate it, you know, not your the tone in which you say something, the words you choose, when the moment you choose to say, like, you know, you wouldn't want to tell somebody that they've been a bad friend the day that they had a miscarriage, you know. Right. <laughs> so timing has a lot to do with it. And and I always try to say something that is um nice and true right in it I, I actually broke up with a friend recently not recently it's been like a year and a half now but it's like a it felt like a divorce it felt like a breakup um because it was and i found that waiting for the conversation i found was, i i had to wait until every time i imagined the conversation it wasn't another version of like and here's why i'm so right and you're so wrong right yeah like, once i could think about her without that narrative mm-hmm. Then I was like, okay, now I'm clear. Yeah. Now I'm clear. Yeah, because I, if you're having that, I must dominate, I must be the one who's right, that's a good time to self-reflect and say, why do I feel the need to be that? Why am I threatened by feeling like um, I might be wrong? Um, and, you know, I, I one of the things I love to do for fun is play hockey. And there's this guy that uh, was a teammate one night and he started snapping at me about the way I was playing. And of course, you know, I snapped back and then I could feel the anger in there. And that's usually when I self-reflect and I say, okay, what is, you know, what got triggered in me? What fear? What's my part in it? And I thought, well, the way I talked to him um, was, was not right. Forget what it, he said to me. That doesn't make me talking in that way right. And I said to him, Mike, um, I want to apologize for uh, yelling at you. It wasn't what you said to me that I had the problem with. It was the way you said it to me. And he said, I'm sorry too. And it was done. It's and so it was adult. Done. But if I had tried to win, I might've never been friendly with that guy again. And I would be in that game with anger and he'd be renting space in my head well, this is something else I noticed. Like when we take something that happens one, at one moment in time, he lost his temper, you lost your temper, and then we make that a lifelong thing. Mm-hmm. 10 years later, that guy's an asshole, right? That teacher said that thing to me when I was in the third grade. And now like that happened one moment and it was it wrong. Yes. Was it unfortunate? Was she having a bad day? You were at whatever, you know, but now you've made it true for the last 40 years. Yes. And we've done with probably what that person has done in some degree or another, maybe not exactly, maybe a, to a slighter degree, maybe to a larger degree, but other people have given us a wide berth uh, sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, but that's the tough part is what's the difference between standing up for yourself and not being a doormat and, and allowing somebody to be human. And that, I, I don't know if you can put it that into words, but, yeah, for me, one of the values of the company is is of the organized artist company is kindness, and I try to always look at things through that lens. Like, is this kind? So even if it's this person owes me money, or this person has let me down, or this you know unfortunate thing has happened, to go like, okay, well, still, still, what is the kind way to talk about this? What is the kind way to say that's unacceptable? What's the kind way to do that? So part of what I'm feeling here is that this whole um, life process, but also for us, our business process has been like a massive reparenting mm-hmm. of our own selves. Like yeah. 
greeting our mistakes with patience and understanding and saying, honey, take a nap when it's time to take a nap and don't push yourself when it's time to stop pushing yourself and play nice with the other kids when it's time to play nice with the other kids. And, and remember that some of the greatest ideas came out of a previous mistake or a uh, failure. Oh, I, I have you ever listened to the podcast? Uh, um, how I built this. I love how I built this. Almost every person in that had some gigantic setback before they were successful and they learned from it. They took something from it and it wound up being something that built up their business muscle. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how often the opportunity comes disguised as misfortune. Yeah. It looks like a setback. It looks like something terrible. It looks like a disappointment, but actually there's a million dollars there if you can just crack it open, yep. figure out. So what other, um, I often reflect on entrepreneurship as spiritual development um, because it just calls you forward. I mean, whatever you're thinking, your results are right in front of you. Yeah, yeah. You, you are causing your business to do whatever it's doing. Mm-hmm. So, and you're the only one. So. <laughs> So what, so this is where I always see like, you know, well, whatever it is that's not happening that I think should be happening or, you know, what am I hiding from? Where do I need to grow? Where do I need to push myself? Where do I need to give up this conviction that I'm right? I just said this morning I was teaching a class and I said, I think the need to be right has probably cost me two, two and a half million dollars over the last 10 years. Wow. Right in my business. Cause the things I don't do or don't want to do or don't do well or whatever. That's great that you can recognize that though. It's not my favorite part of myself. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's great because that's realistic is to say, how am I going to learn from my mistakes instead of how can I not make mistakes? You're going to make mistakes. For sure, for sure. I mean, and just that's... you, not the rest of us, just you. <laughs> just me, exactly. God, you're a wreck. <laughs> I've been passing around the memo. Did you see what she did today? Holy God. (laughs) People pay that woman for her advice. What are they thinking? (laughs) So um, like even doing this summit meant me asking people I know and like and respect and many of whom I perceive as being a little further up the ladder than I am for essentially the favor of doing this interview with me. Um, And I I had to have a couple of long talks with myself about that. Because you were afraid to do it? Yeah. Yeah. And and what were some of the, what was some of the negative chatter that you had in your head? Um, I don't even know that it was so much. See, I recognized it right away because it just sounds like, no, 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 that's a terrible idea. And now I've been at this long enough that now I know that that particular version of no means absolutely you have to do it. Was it a fear of being rejected? It's a fear of being pathetic. It's a fear of being pathetic. It's not so much rejected because people definitely said no, mostly very in the kindest, lovingest, most way possible. Seth Godin sent me the best no I've ever gotten. Like I'm so, I'm so grateful for his no. Um, no, it was more this imagine my imaginary my crystal ball, like my imaginary movie in my head is people getting the email of me asking and being like, "Ugh, ugh, that is so sad. That poor girl thinks that anyone would care." Wow. Yeah, wow. like the eye roll, like that like you could feel the breeze from the eye roll of like, "Oh god, not her." <laughs> yeah. Pathetic. I know that feeling, man. I know that feeling. I uh, I will say that I had this, I this was fortunate this was not my first time with this feeling. When I was asking for endorsements for my first book, I, of course, asked our famous friends, you know, um, and I sent one to uh, to Steve Carell, to Charlie Hartsock, to, to get to Steve and said like, hi, Charlie and Steve, I hope this isn't too star fucky of me, but I'm wondering if you can endorse yeah. my book. <laughs> and any luck? No, he was endorsing... Um, Steve couldn't do it because he was something with BJ Novak's new book. Um, but then Charlie wrote back and said, oh, um, I'd be happy to, uh, here's my endorsement. I haven't read Sam's book yet, but I'm sure it's very good. <laughs> and, I said, <laughs> and I asked my editor and I wrote him back. And I said, can I use that? And he was like, 
really? I was just kidding. I'm like, no, it's brilliant. So it's in there. If you see on the last page, it says. That's awesome. I'm, I'm sure I'll get to this soon. I'm sure it's very good. Yes. Charlie Hartsock, executive producer, incredible work, Wonderstone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, stupid love, incredible work, Wonderstone. Um, yeah. And here's another thing that comes up sometimes with, with, especially with the creatives that I work with, you know, they, they've had it, they've had a dream. They've worked hard to make something happen like you and I did. And we did damn well for ourselves. And yet it hasn't turned out the way we certainly thought it would, or the way we scripted it when we were 15 inside of our minds. Um, and I hear a lot from people about their disappointment, about regret, about like, I don't want to get rid of the old film equipment from 1983 because that means I'm not a movie maker anymore like that 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 to me is not i mean it's obvious but that sounds like somebody who's stuck in the past and believes that um they it's all ended that there is nothing potentially for them to be excited about in life um you know maybe ask yourself what was it that you loved about making a movie was it being um doing a collaborative collaborative effort with other people? Was it the photography of it? Was it um, telling a story? We'll find another way to do that. And for me, that's what the podcast is, is I get to share my inner life um, just like I did with stand-up, but I'm doing it in a different way, a way I actually appreciate more because I can be more vulnerable and I have to deal with drunk hecklers and uh, I don't have to travel. So if I clung to that belief that I'm a failure because I got out of stand-up and television, um, I, I, I shudder to think how miserable I would be if I was stuck in that place of clinging to the idea of who I have to be. And I imagine for a lot of people, then that idea of that probably also involves some ego in that they believe who they are what they do is who they are. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe the type of person that should do some volunteer work that maybe needs to build a spiritual life so that they, they can build their self-esteem and not have it wrapped up in how much money they make or how much recognition they have, or if people are impressed with them. And I think there's, there's two things I'm hearing. One, one is that again, sort of dealing with present reality, like get over the supposed to like, Oh, I'm supposed to be happy or this is supposed to be enough for me or um, I remember before I got divorced, actually saying out loud the phrase, well, how happy is a person really supposed to be? Like, how happy is a marriage really going to be ever? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Let's That's just good. lower the bar all the way down to the ground. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes I think lowering the bar uh, of expectations can be great in terms of lowering it, especially in terms of other people and how other people behave, not in terms of what you tolerate, but in terms of you're being surprised. Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. But, uh, but for people who've made a little prison for themselves of like, I can't leave this, it was everything I ever wanted. Or, um, but the other thing I'm also hearing is for people who are like, well, I'm in this job, I have this thing, I don't know what else I would do. Like, I never had a lifelong passion. I never had a big dream to go be this or go be that, what, you know, and I think that exact same question applies. Well, what what does turn you on? Yeah. What do you do just because you can? Yeah, maybe it, you ask yourself, if you had five years left to live, what would you go do? Which you might. Or a year to live, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, yeah. How would you like to be spending your time? It's so easy to believe that what we want other people, that how we want other people to perceive us is our passion. It's so that the ego is a barnacle that will attach itself to anything. And it's so easy to believe that if we are impressive and stand out, that we will feel peaceful and safe. I found just the opposite to be true. I found that the more I was one of many, especially in a support group, I finally felt the peace that I thought money and recognition were going to 
give me. I used to think that if I could see my face on a billboard on Sunset Boulevard, that it would click that I had arrived and I had made it and it was official. And uh, they took a billboard out one year on Sunset Boulevard. And I kid you not, Sam, I lost respect for Sunset Boulevard. (laughs) That's the ego, man. It is insatiable. Human connection is where it's at. Human connection. And if you can find a way to have human connection in what it is that you do for a living, even if you're never meeting the people that you are creating a product or service for, you'll still get feedback of of some sort and, and you'll have the knowledge that you are doing something that enriches other people's lives. So if you can find a way to to you know merge your love of taking pictures um, and find a way to bring human connection and service into that, it's been my experience that the universe will meet you halfway and things will have a way of working out if you can keep your ego out of it. Yeah, yeah. And I've also been really struck by how much other people don't care what you're doing. Like this feeling like, oh, I'm letting everybody down or people You're expect about me themselves. to this, or people expect you to that. It's like, really, they're, they're barely noticing you. Yeah. That's the good news and the bad news. Exactly. The good news and the bad news is they're barely noticing you. And I think you're exactly right that when you can get into alignment with how you can best be of, of service, yeah. of genuine service to other people. And sometimes that looks like being a servant leader. It looks like you're standing up in front like, oh, you know, which in a very real way makes you the least important person in the room, right? When you're the, when you're the one in front, you're the one trying to make sure that everybody else has a good time. You're the one around whom everybody else's shit depends. You know, you've got to not screw it up so they get to have the experience they need to have. Um, But it also sometimes just looks like pure service. Yeah. Uh, A a friend of mine is frustrated. And I know this isn't, uh, unique in Hollywood, but it, it frustrated um, with his acting career that he's not successful. And, and I said, you know, we have no control over whether or not other people like us, but ask yourself why it is that you are acting. Are you, lo- are you in acting because you love the craft of it? Well, nobody is stopping you from acting. You're frustrated that you're not getting recognition for it. And that's an emotional issue. That's not a business issue. Right, right. Because then when you get there, it's not, there's not going to be a there there. Because there's always going to be a group of people that are going to shit on you. And every, and Hollywood is a great example of this and it was often held up as an example of this, but I think it exists everywhere where there's just these like um, increasingly smaller and smaller rooms of like, you know, you get, oh, if only I could get over there. When you get over there and you're like, oh, wait, but those people are in there. Well, I wish I was there. Yes. Well, I wish I was there. Well, I wish... Like, and then you just got in the middle. You've just got, I don't know, like Spielberg alone. Yeah. Going, why do I feel so lonely? <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> why doesn't anybody ever come see me? <laughs> I can't even see them. Yeah, exactly. I was, uh, I was watching or reading an interview with uh, Steve Case, who founded AOL, and he was at Davos, which, as you know, is that big summit of all the biggest world leaders and influencers. And he was talking to the journalist, and he said, I don't know why I come here, because every year I always feel like something better is going on in the room I'm not in. And I thought, it never ends. This guy is a billionaire. He created, you know, this was back, you know, 10 years ago when AOL was still, you know, uh, a thing that people talked about. I'm sure they still do, but um, it never ends unless you decide what I think about myself is really what matters and meaning and purpose and peace is those are doable for me because I can control that. It's up to you whether or not you feel peace. Um, I, you know, I went through a divorce. My dog died. I got kicked out of my apartment. I had to find a way to find peace in the middle of those things. Nobody robs you of your peace. 
And I think to be able to get to the end of your days, whenever that is, and feel like, all right, that was some good work. Like I showed up, I was there for it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't miss, you know, I, I didn't put my attention on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. And how you treat people as you go along the way with your passion to me is more important than your passion because ultimately for me, at least the only chance I have for peace is having meaning and purpose in my life and meaning and purpose in my life is almost important without human connection and human connection is almost important in on, impossible without placing importance on how we treat other people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We're here. We're in here alone, but we're not in here alone. No, you know, we're, we, it's a big body and we can either be the cancer or the medicine or somewhere in between. And I think how we, the principles by which we go about our day determine if we're the cancer or the medicine or somewhere in between. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful, Paul. Thank you so much for taking this time to, to share your story and your truth with everybody. And I think this question of meaning and purpose and, um, and human connection is, is really at the heart of, of, of what we're talking about, whether we're talking about our jobs or our really is relationships or our art or our anything. It's, does it matter? Does it matter to me? Does it matter to the world? And, and how can I make the most of what I've been given? Yeah, absolutely. I got to get you on uh, on the podcast. I think you'd be a great guest. Oh, for sure. I'd love to. Yeah. Yay. See everybody, ask your friends for favors and then they'll have you on their podcast. <laughs> it worked. It worked. My plan. <laughs> it's great to talk to you. I'm so and, glad to talk uh, to you. Uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. That sounds great. I love you, honey. Love you too. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. If you've enjoyed this, but your time is limited and you'd like access to the rest of them, please hop over to therealsambennett.com forward slash freedom. That's therealsambennett.com forward slash freedom. And there you can opt in, get access to all these recordings and a bunch of fun freebies. We'd love to see you there. In the meantime, remember, the world needs your good work. Thanks, everybody.